When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are the Clippers good enough to win the title? How Luka might not be the key to beating the Clippers. Have the Bucks solved the magic? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Uh, I am pleased to have on Jared Weiss, who you might recognize as being my podcast partner for quite a long time, and uh, we're getting back to getting the game back together, at least for this one. So, Jared, what's going on, my man? You know what? When you told me I need you, I said I got to come calling, and so <laughs> we got we have a tight little window before the draft lottery, and I figured let's squeeze in a quick little pod. I miss I miss being on the show with you. Absolutely. Well, by the way, we're doing this locker room thing too uh, on. Uh, on this app but that people can eventually listen to as well, I think, right? Yeah, is that public already? Uh, you know, they mentioned that something like they could do it, but this, we'll just we'll just sort of uh, you know throw it out there as a tease, and eventually you you'll be able to listen to us uh, while we're talking uh, as a, like a live pod, I guess, where people can come in. And so, nonetheless, um, let's go into it. Let's talk about the Clippers for a minute because um, they lost the first game. They won the first game. They lost the second game. There you Forgive go. me. And um, there's some interesting storylines going on. Uh, do you want to jump in on the, uh, with a take on this one? Yeah. Um, are the Clippers good enough to win the title? Because I definitely thought they were going to be. And I'm not sure anymore. They have never figured out who they are. And I, ca- I kind of felt like it was going to be the situation where the Clippers are going to get all the way to the conference finals. And it was going to be kind of a journey to figure out their team's identity all the way to that point. And if they could figure it out, then they could get past the Lakers or the Nuggets. And well, actually, frankly, honestly, I don't think there's a single favorite in the Western Conference right now. Um, well, I think we need to talk actually, about that because without any travel, without any home court advantage, this is really causing havoc for these seedings, wouldn't you say? The seeding seem almost irrelevant. I mean, we had the Blazers beat the Lakers in the first game for us. For, yeah, uh, and the, and the Bucks can lost, too. What? Can you what? Can I curse on the show? I can't even remember. Oh, yeah, go ahead. All right, for fuck's sake. There we go. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, seeding just seems to be pretty much irrelevant right now. Um, the, the Clippers, you know, I mean, their problem has always been that they basically had two disjointed offensive uh, systems. It was... The high pick and roll, Lou Will with Trez. And I'm actually glad to see that it looks like Zubach and Lou Will have a pretty decent connection going right now on the pick and roll. And then it's, the, you know, the wing-based uh, Paul George slash Kawhi Leonard system. And then Landry Shamit, who was really good last year, has not just – he hasn't been playing that great this year. And they're not giving him, I think, quite enough opportunity to really show what he could do this year. Marcus Morris, who's like – 
who's tough to really fit into a scheme, but he can do pretty much everything. And he obviously like he'll step up and he'll make the plays or he'll spot up and make the shot in crunch time like he did in that in that first game. So it's like they have all the pieces in place for like without question. And Jermichael Green is doing what he does every year and he's playing pretty solidly, I think, in the playoffs, or at least is, you know, filling his role solidly in the playoffs like they need from him. Um but like there's just no there's no like there, there's no lineup that seems to maximize their capability. And right. maybe, maybe that's, a, maybe that's okay. Maybe they don't have to maximize their capability to win the title. Well, you know, I want to address something about Landry Shamit because I had tweeted out in the very beginning of the year and the assholes out there keep wanting to throw it in my face. I had tweeted out that he could become the first high volume three point shooter to break 50%. And first of all, that is, high volume hasn't happened, but we've had 50% shooters from three, you know, two, three, four attempts a game. And I guess the cutoff could be like five attempts a game. But I'd also equivocated by saying that if they get the offense figured out right and Paul George is healthy, then that's what would do it. Because what I was really trying to say, and I, I thought that you know there's a little bit of nuance where you can understand, he was going to start. He was going to start alongside both Kawhi and PG and get most of his minutes with them. And if you can imagine the kind of shots he'd get, they would be like wide open threes galore because everyone has to load up on the other two. Well, yeah. go figure. If you go over to NBA Wowie and type in, you know, the three-man lineup with just, you know, Landry Shamit and, the, and Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard, guess what? He shot 55% from three when he was on the floor oh, with wow. those two guys. So, um, and, and everyone Is it was like, well, uh, oh, well, that's a good question. It wasn't high volume because Paul George was injured for a lot, and then Kawhi Leonard is getting load management. So they never really got that rhythm going that they're missing now, uh, and they couldn't get, I guess, in the first eight games of the play-in. So um, yeah. that, there was evidence to show that Landry Shamit's quality of shot goes so it, it's sky high when he plays alongside those guys. And remember, let's just say he starts and he plays 26 minutes a game. Well, I would bet you 20 of those are going to be alongside both of those two players or so. So that's like the majority of the shots would have come. So if he shoots 55% with those guys and like 45 with anybody else he's playing with, well, that's probably 50%. And there you go. So I rest my case. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm definitely a believer in him. I mean, I wouldn't have claimed that he was going to do that in his second season in the NBA, but I definitely think that's his future. I see him as the next is the next JJ Redick the right way to put it? I've, yeah. I mean, he's a playmaker too, and he's a pretty impressive defender. Like he's, he's got really, really good starter potential. I don't know if he'll ever quite be all-star level, but I see the package there and it's, it's incredible that they were able to get him and everything else that they got to get rid of Tobias Harris, who is someone who's covering the Sixers right now because uh, they're playing the team I cover. Uh, wow, I would not want to be paying Tobias Harris right now. So the Clippers, I mean, from a roster-building perspective, they've done such an incredible job. And Doc, Doc's rotations, his substitution decisions, like in an ad hoc manner, his play, you know, the play calling, all that kind of stuff, it's all lacking right now. It's all well, frustrating. And people yeah, but, around the Clippers that I talk to, they're all, there's a lot of frustration there. Oh, you can see it, by the way. Like even uh, like in the background, if you look carefully enough, you can see the guys upset and frustrated. Uh, I think part of the thing is, you know, Montres Harrell was off because of a death in the family. And that, that sure. really is a significant factor because he's playing without even practicing with them. He's probably completely out of shape. So that's a real issue there. And he's playing okay. I mean, he's making plays. But uh, when you watch this, the Luka Doncic-led uh, Dallas Mavericks, and I just released a video that's doing really well today, where you know there's a lineup without Luka that's killing the Lakers, absolutely killing them. And the funny thing was is that they went to it in the first half of game one, and it just killed them. 
and they didn't go into it in game two. And you almost want to say, well, what the hell, Carlisle? What's wrong with you? Well, the reason why they didn't go to it in, game two, in the second half of game one was because uh, Porzingis was in that lineup and they fucking threw him out of the game. So they couldn't do that. And can you imagine? Let's just say they, they, they were able to go a plus eight again in those three or four minutes they would have played. Would have changed the entire dynamic of game one. And you're talking about the lineup with um, Curry, Wright, Hardaway, Kleva, and Porzingis, right? No, I'm talking about now. You're, okay, I'm talking about because um, that lineup uh, was killer in the fourth quarter against the Clippers in Game Two. Yeah, and Marjanovic did really well with them in the, that lineup that they played the last night in Game Two. But this, the lineup I'm talking about is Trey Burke, um, Hardaway, KP. Um, um, oh boy, it's three starters and um, Trey Burke and Curry. So it's KP, Finney, Finney, Finney Smith, Smith. And, yeah. uh, and Hardaway. I can't um, believe we're talking about a Trey Burke-led lineup beating the most talented team in the NBA in 2020. That's, it's too bad. That's insane. He'd be the most improved player if he got to play during the regular part of the season. I don't know what he did or what happened, but he's not right, – don't. you see it, right? This is not the same Trey Burke we'd seen previously in the NBA. I forget. Was he on Philly earlier this year or was that last year? I can't remember. I don't, I don't think he played. Let me check real quick. I thought he didn't play at all this year until they signed him in his emergency. Really? Because, oh, the by the way. The first roster changes every week. It's impossible it, to keep track. And it, it, the only reason why he's there is because Willie Cauley-Stein decided he didn't want to go into the bubble. Like, imagine that. And now Trey Burke is like their number one sniper off the bench. I mean, so is Curry. <laughs> but uh, wait, is Curry starting? And now I'm even – no, Curry's not starting. No, um, he's not. It's all right. But, I just spoke uh, just now saying that he was in the Clippers. I meant to but, say the uh, the Mavericks rotation yeah. changes every week. But but you're right. He played 25 games for Philly earlier this year. Yeah, and he played 13 okay. minutes. Yeah. But um, it's remarkable because he's. I think they had to waive him because they got Glenn Robinson the third, who is now uh, out when they need him the most in Philly. This episode is sponsored by Score Metrics Sports Trading System. You've heard of Sabermetrics, the analytic model that propelled the impossible Oakland A's to be a competitive team in the early 2000s. Now, meet Scoremetrics, a system that legendary sports better John Tadora used to propel himself into a multi-million dollar lifestyle in record time. Scoremetrics applies millions of relevant data points with John's custom proprietary analytic models to accurately pinpoint winning profit opportunities in the betting markets. So get this. Just last year, in the 2019 Major League Baseball season, Scoremetrics produced a 217% gain. And the back-tested results of the members-only alert system, based purely off the score metrics method, have a staggering 6,796% compounded ROI over the last four years. It's as easy as following along on your favorite betting app. Now, for the first time ever, John is opening up access to score metrics to the public. To get access and start placing high-probability bets today, visit sportstradingsystems.com slash breakdown. That's sportstradingsystems.com slash breakdown. What a revelation, though, for, for uh, uh, Dallas to be able to come in. And, you know what, they don't need Willie Cauley-Stein at this point. Um, they, you know, Kleba is doing fine. KP is doing terrific as the only yep. bigs they really need. So um, I, I have to tell you, like, yeah, if the Clippers can't figure out the chemistry thing and if they can't sort of – I mean, Harrell will get better as, this, as the series goes on, I'm convinced. And so that'll be – this will be a seven-game series. It might be one of the most epic games. Let me tell you, I got a hot take for you. Are you ready, Jared? I sure. think – I think that, um, and maybe I even texted, texted this to you before. I think <laughs> that um, Doncic could become the greatest of all time. I'm not gonna. 
I, I will I'll put I'll poke holes in that, but you anyone that follows me closely knows that I've been heralding Doncic as the Messiah ever since he was like 16, and there he has the potential. I mean. It's funny. I, I compared him to Larry Bird like a little while ago, which of course like everybody does. And I got so much bullshit about like there's nothing similar between their games, all that stuff. It's like if you watch Larry Bird and you really go in there and you watch the way that Larry Bird tried to control the game and the way that he his cadence and his and his vision and you really understand the way he was trying to apply the game. It is incredibly similar, even if Luca, the way that he maneuvers on the floor is probably closer to magic Johnson. And I guess really a good comp would be that he's really a combination of magic Johnson and Larry bird, which for anybody that was around back then to even think of that is just so insane. And I guess LeBron is already that kind of player to a degree, except that Luca can casually shoot from 30 feet without any effort. You know, so he, Luca is a less explosive. He's a less explosive LeBron. That's another way that you could put it. Um, but he's a guy that plays. He he feels out the game in the way that Larry did. Larry would just kind of gradually feel out the contact, feel out the angles, and then he would have the entire floor scanned down to the mic to like the molecule. And he and there was no way that you could cut him off from making a play, whether it was to score or to pass. It was just impossible. And so Luca, he does these things where he'll like go in the air or he'll extend himself or it's about to be a travel and at the very last second he's able to make a play in a way that I've just never really quite seen anyone besides Bird do it where he can he can extend the window of opportunity past a point that we've never seen anyone do except for Jordan with his hang time LeBron with his Euro step and like bowling ball power and Larry with his just kind of like you know tight footwork touch basically yeah I mean you might see Harden a little bit in that notion but Harden is a sure, much more sure. of a I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't even know if I want to call Doncic a pure scorer because he's such a great passer. But the dude averages 30 a game, so it's not like he's not a scorer. But when you watch the shiftiness, it's the, it is that threat of the score, when he, especially when he gets anywhere near the basket, that it just opens up everything for everybody else. And the dude is 21 in his second year, and he's going to average close to a triple-double at that age. Now, remember, in 10 years from now, it might not be that, that crazy uh, we might have 21-year-olds coming in all the time who are doing all this, and then with the pace that's moving up and the way that we're spreading and shooting, like you know, scoring 25 a game might not be a big deal like it was, you know, 10 years ago. So that's the other thing we have to figure out going into the future. But yes. all I can tell 30. you is that nobody puts these numbers up at this age. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, a, a big thing is that because of the more possessions in the games, because of pace and scoring is so much higher that 30 is kind of more like 25 was five years ago. So, right. you know, third, yeah, you know, cause like it, you, I guess the way to do it is you look at, I mean, we should start using numbers of like relative to league average or stuff like that. But like Luca's top, he's top like seven in scoring. So top yeah. seven in scoring five years ago would have averaged 25 points a game. Now right. it's averaging 30 or whatever. But the point is, um, as far as other comps, like, yeah, the Harden comp is totally is a really good comp as well. I think the main difference besides that, I think Harden plays with more of a quick twitch athleticism while Luca plays with more of a kind of kind of slow, fluid, hyper balance athleticism with and more. And he, I think Luca tries to use kind of physicality and pushing off more than Harden. And does actually, but I think the big the big difference between them is that I, I feel like Harden approaches the game with a scorer's mentality, while Luca approaches it with a passer's mentality. And right. it's not to say that one is better than the other, and it's not whitewashing Luca saying like Luca's better because he wants to be a passer. It's that you can see when Luca most of the time when Luca's attacking, he's looking to make the pass, while Harden generally is looking to 
find the shot or draw the foul. But he's also just he's one of the best passers ever. So he's able to make, you know, incredible assists all the time. So, like, I agreed when people were overreacting to Luca's through the legs pass as like it was the greatest play of all time. <laughs> it was definitely more remarkable than most other Harden passes because he did it it like to win the game. And it was so audacious in that moment of the game. But right. obviously, like Harden makes that pass pretty frequently and like every skill that Luca has in his bag right now Harden has it at a more refined level and I think like Harden is still probably better than Luca offensively but Luca is doing this so early in his career I expect that he's going to hit a level that no one has ever hit offensively right because we're we, it's I, I don't want to say it's guaranteed but he will end up shooting better from three he will end up shooting better from the line I mean I think those are those are two things you can kind of uh, count on as any normal NBA player progresses through their career generally they get better at shooting like the long distance so that's except what's so LeBron. scary except for who LeBron LeBron yeah, except for LeBron, and I could help him, but nonetheless. <laughs> the one word we're not talking about is usage percentage because um, it just so happens we can go back to 96-97 and see what Michael Jordan's usage is, was. Now, you know, nobody used it more than he did. He was at 32.8 in that year. David Robinson was right behind him at 32.2 and then Carl Malone 32.1. But now to lead the league, you're at 36, 37, and that's where Luka is along with James Harden. So that's a pretty significant jump of like five percentage points in usage. And that might actually continue to go up as well. We might continue to get more ball-dominated guards who really run the show like this. And um, it, it, I wonder if that's – I mean, that's the future probably is going to be that. And then you have to wonder the, – the, the worry has always been, well, what happens when they go off the floor? Your whole team just falls apart because they rely so heavily. Well, we don't really the, – the Mavericks aren't suffering from that. And they're able to kind of figure out some ways to put some guys on the floor, and particularly, particularly KP, who is really just benefiting. Now, KP, it's not fair. It's not fair to have a 7-3 guard. Right, I don't think it's fair to have a guy like that. Um, you know, yeah, he's, he's like an off-ball shooting guard that happens yeah. seven three. It's ridiculous. He shot fake one dribbled sidestep pull ups and one on Zubots. It's like, what are you supposed to do about that? You cannot stop that. He's going to shoot probably fifty percent on that or whatever from that. And he shot that one from like seventeen eighteen on an and one. So he got the extra point. So. It's like, uh, you know, I, I'm really, really worried if I were anybody but a Mavs fan going forward because you have the coaching, you have the infrastructure and the ownership, uh, and you have these two guys who are young. And, like, how you, you wouldn't need to worry about anything but it's like what the Spurs did when they plugged in the three and they, they could just play around with whoever else they wanted to put around them. Yeah, and so then when they sign Giannis at free agency, it's going to be a real problem Shut for everybody. Up. Are they going to do that? <laughs> I don't know. That would be... They would be by far the best team that's ever assembled, I assume, at that point, if they have the amount of depth they have and Rick Carlisle as their coach and KP's like this isn't a flash in the pan. And KP, because don't forget, KP's what, 24 right now? He's, yeah, he's still really young, right? So he's going to get, and he's finally healthy for the first time in his career. So if this sticks, I mean, holy crap, right. if he's going to be incredible. And what so, I think what's going to happen is to save his health is they'll, they'll be able to build on this. They'll blow teams out a lot. So they'll be able to only play him the 30 minutes a game like they did with Steph yeah. or whatever. So that like should protect does, yeah. KP uh, for the most part, I would think. But, okay, so we got to talk about the coaching here as we start to get toward the end of this thing. We'll do a little quickie here for, for everybody. But um, we got some coaching things like, okay, Budenholzer, they, they, they're they going to win the second game. It's 1-1. But I, I, I did a breakdown, and I've been exposing issues with, um, oh, actually, you know what? The Magic have cut it to nine with three minutes to go. So suddenly that's a little bit closer than they wanted to. And remember, there's an issue with, with crunch time with Giannis because he can't shoot from outside of eight feet. 
and they give him a lot of room. And we saw in game one where they gave him so much room, he they stole the pass he tried to make for a layup uh, to a teammate because the guy was so off of, so far off of him. Uh, that's a real problem. And you have Budenholzer, who's got this kind of radical defensive system that I've talked about before, where they, they protect the rim so much, they give up wide-open threes too often. It killed them. Uh, well, it actually didn't really kill them in game one, but it hurts them, and it's going to continue to hurt them even more as they go against better teams. So does, does Budenholzer survive if they lose in the first round? <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. I mean, there's, there's no way they're going to let, let him go. It's um, The coach of the year, I mean, curse. Yeah, it's true. That is true. So technically you should be fired for that. No, I mean, the, the, this team has been for one, I, I will be I will quit my job if uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I will. I will pay twenty dollars to a charity of your choice. There we go. Something reasonable. Okay. If the Bucks lose in the first round, if they even win in seven in the first round, I'll do it. Um, wow. They're, OK. They're just, I can't imagine. I agree. By the way. By the way, I mean people already know this, but uh, so right after you mentioned that the um, the Bucks lead went down to nine, they isolated Giannis in the high post and he destroyed Evan Fournier and Nick Vucevic, and then they just hit a kick out three to Connaughton, I think, and yeah, they like very 14. quickly won on what what looked like an eight nothing run. And by the way, Giannis did that against what was essentially a loose triple team where they had three guys stacked at the free throw line with like a like a five foot or like a four foot gap between them. And they still couldn't even come close to containing him. So, um, you know, as defenses get better and better as they go deeper into the playoffs, like obviously if Boston can somehow make it there, they're better equipped defensively. Miami's better equipped defensively. Toronto is most likely going to be in the conference finals with OG and, you know, and Pascal. They're way better equipped defensively to keep Giannis out of the paint. But Giannis's determination, I'm pretty confident is going to be able to get him pretty much wherever he wants to, no matter when, uh, no matter what point they are at the game. Like I just, I believe in his relentless determination more than anything. And I've been on the honest train for a long time, too, so I don't want to do that. But I, I do get frustrated because there's so many things he's not training properly that will, you know, and, and even still, the guy's averaging 30 and 10 and 10. It's like, like how much better could he possibly get? But, th- you know, we're talking about uh, do you want to win, you know, be number one in the conference and win a couple rounds? Or are we talking about title, you know, winning stuff? And that's an interesting thing I have with, like, the Utah Jazz fans who, you know, I think they're pr- perfectly happy with a really tough team that gets the fourth or fifth seed every year. And uh, it's a tough out in the playoffs where, to me, it's like, well, you know, if you want to get to the next level, we got to do some things that they're not happy with. But uh, I guess that brings us brings us to the next issue, which could very well be Philly. Now, Philly has an out if they lose in the first round because they, they didn't they lost Ben Ben Simmons to injury. But um, the call for Brett Brown's um, firing has been there for a couple of years now. I certainly been rubbed the wrong way uh, by a lot of the coaching, specifically independent of the personnel or the injuries. Um, do you think that this first round is going to determine his fate? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not really sure what he can do at this point to even keep his job because they, I mean, there's no impetus for them to break that, to break up Simmons and Embiid, right? There's no um, Simmons is locked in the, the contract's just about to start. I don't think his trade value is ever really going to change because Simmons at the max off of the rookie scale extension is a no brainer. So he's never going to become a bad value player at that point. So he's always going to have peak trade value. As long as Joel is healthy, he's obviously always going to have peak trade value and he's in his extension pretty early. So the, the, the roster core is pretty stable from that perspective. And so I think they just got to move on from Brett because Brett is just not he he hasn't been able to give them an offensive scheme or a defensive scheme that really works. And you know what? If Kawhi didn't hit that shot last year, 
maybe the Sixers win the title because I'm pretty sure the I'm pretty sure whoever was facing the Warriors last year was going to win the title. So maybe the Sixers do win the title, and this is all for naught. But right now, they you know, like frankly losing Simmons gave them an opportunity to create this really nice offensive system that was completely you know Embiid centric and. It doesn't last more than a couple quarters. Like teams, right. the Celtics, who are one of the best game planning defensive teams in the league, they keep adjusting and they keep shutting it down. And then Philly obviously doesn't have the weapons to fight. And like I joked about before, like Tobias Harris is not delivering. He's not capable of creating on his own. He's not capable of doing what Chris Middleton does for Milwaukee. And it's and that's, <laughs> well. I think that's what's really going to hurt them. Yeah, I know. So, but, well, don't look at Middleton for uh, what his, his production in that playoffs either, which is a, another reason why it was frustrating watching that Bucks. The first Bucks game was that um, they didn't run what was so good for them in the in their offense. You know, Middleton is their number one pick and roll ball handler, and he yeah. really wasn't getting opportunities down the stretch like that, and they were kind of falling apart. Do you think that the, the there's some murmuring? I believe that like you know the, the Sixers quit um, on the on, on themselves in that game one uh, against the Celtics. Is that something you've been hearing? Or game two, um, sorry. They had a lead. Remember, they had a lead early, and they kind of just fell yeah. apart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that's something you have to hear. You can just kind of see it. They just <laughs> they, they felt overwhelmed. And, I mean, you know, a big part of it was Tatum was going off, and he was you right. know, he was hitting so many incredible shots, and so that's deflating. But it was – I mean, we've seen a few instances here where there's some team – like, um, not to distract from the point, but the end of the game one against the Lakers, when I think Kuz missed a three with, like, 30 seconds left – and Portland got the rebound, and then nobody fouled, and it was like a what was it like a five point game or something like that? That was yeah. insane. Like, this is the playoffs, yeah. and it's a five game point up. game. You know, you gotta you gotta keep working it down to the bone. It's game one for God's sakes. And so, I but I've seen that happen a few like a few different teams where they don't seem to be engaged uh, enough in the late game situations, and they kind of just feel deflated. And I don't know, maybe it's a sense of that because you don't have to like get on a jet and fly home and reset and all that kind of stuff that, and because there's no, like we have to get one in the other team's arena or we have to get one here while we have home court advantage. Maybe there's a bit of this like stasis where teams don't feel as alarmed with each of these playoff games. Cause they kind of, they know they're just going to go take the bus back to the hotel and then like, everything's going to kind of be the same. And so right. there's this less sense of urgency there. Um, I don't know. Wait, yeah, uh, but... last okay, last thing though, I want to talk about the Lakers for a second because we they had some interesting, you know, uh, slight tidbits. You know, Joe Varden had interviewed, asked LeBron about something was going on behind the scenes that's kind of bumming them out, right? And then then we see them kind of give up at the very end, and yeah. something is a little bit off uh, with them, and it was been that way the, the, the whole eight games of the play-in. So, um, what do, do there's, there can only be a few things that it is, right? I mean, I'm not going to somebody. I have no idea what the hell it is. Somebody's sneaking out of the bubble, or somebody is. Um, I, I don't know because LeBron teams do have this happen to them from time to time, and it looks really dire. And then all of a sudden, poof, they 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 go on a run and they get to the conference finals, no problem. But uh, it it feels a little bit different this year. Um, and I'm I'm curious, do who are you going to pick uh, in this series? You're gonna you're definitely going to pick the Lakers to beat the Lakers. Yeah, I'll pick I'll pick the Lakers. I think they'll end up winning. And I mean, we're recording this before Game Two, so who knows what happens in Game Two from uh, my perspective? But I mean, it's important to remember with LeBron teams, there's all the time there's this like narrative of there's some sort of huge like there there's something holding them back. There's some sort of problem going on behind closed doors when it's just 
that's just LeBron. Like, it's not the team. It's just LeBron. But LeBron is the team. So if LeBron has an issue going on privately, then everybody technically has an issue going on privately because he's the dominant force of that team. And, I mean, I'm skeptical of this Lakers team winning in the playoffs, and that's why I went with the Clippers. Um, Just because I still have a lot of issues with AD's. He's just AD's just not an efficient player yet. Uh, and just like his approach to the game, but he's obviously so insanely good that he still produces at an incredible level. But I'm still like pretty skeptical of him. If teams are able to neutralize LeBron, which teams often are, and especially the Clippers are designed to, to try to do that. I'm skeptical that AD is going to be able to carry them on his own over the right. top and be well, able he's to, not a cre- to maximize his opportunity. Well, he doesn't create shots, so he has to yeah. rely on someone else to kind of create it, help him set him up. Um, and that's a, a rare thing these days in the NBA to be a successful uh, player. He's a weird sort of hybrid stuck in the middle of some stuff. So um, yeah. He's also well, one of the best threats I've ever seen in the history of the NBA, and it's insane what they're able to do when him and LeBron are working together. So, For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, well, let's find out what happens tonight. Awesome stuff. And help. Thank you for coming in here and breaking this down with me. And um, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in lockdown. <laughs>